John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won. G'day guys, welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. As you would have heard this morning, if you listened to that clip, on Wednesday morning we have got a huge episode of The Wire, our Supercoast Draft Show, with the weekly rub down coming your way. I asked you guys the other day for a couple of questions, uh, and honestly, I got in and I sat down with uh, Natty and Wooker, and they had so many questions already lined up. The episode went for about two hours, so I didn't really get to get stuck into many of the questions that you guys sent to me, so I thought I'd go through very quickly now and answer some of them, uh, so I'm literally just opening the page now to have a look at ones that stand out for me. Uh, Perfect league size and squad size for that matter. Uh, For me, I think that you just want to get as many guys as you can into your league that you know will participate for 27 weeks. Um, Honestly, I think that my comp is 14 people. Maybe it's a few too many. I reckon 10 or 12 is probably perfect. Uh, But honestly, you would rather have eight guys uh, that play the entire 27 weeks than have 12 guys where three or four of them only play the first 10 weeks and then drop off. That's You just want to have guys that are committed and guys that will, that will hang in there. Uh, for me, we play a pretty deep league, which I, I personally think is the best way to go. So we play one hooker, two front row forward, three to RF, uh, one halfback, one five-eight, four center wing, and one fullback. And then we have five reserves. So that's how we do ours. I know that like the weekly rub down, they have two CTWs, which means you get a little bit more on the waiver wire. I prefer it to be a little bit deeper, but I'm obviously a little bit more of a nerd. So I think it sort of just depends on what your group is and how they like to function and how committed they're going to be. I think that is the big thing with Supercoach Draft. You need all your guys to be committed. So for me, we know that the level of commitment in our comp is enough that we can have 14 people, we can have deep ass squads, we can have four CTWs, we know there's going to be fuck all on the waivers, you're going to have to work hard each and every week, but we know that our guys are going to be committed to that. Um, if you know that that's not going to work in your comp, don't do it because you will fuck up your competition. People will get over it. Uh, so just keep all that sort of stuff in mind when you are setting up your competitions. Surely AJ Brimson and his avoid playing in the centres will get trampled by edges. I wouldn't say we will get trampled uh, AJ Brimson, but I don't like him in the centres as far as a supercoach draft play. I think people will look at him, uh, and I, I think he where, where you end up getting AJ Brimson will probably be a little bit of value because he is playing centre. And look, I would be far from guaranteeing that he plays centre the entire year. If there's an injury, suspension, anything, essentially at halfback, 5'8", or fullback, uh, you see AJ Brimson move automatically. So I, I reckon he still plays plenty of footy at fullback um, or 5'8", or whatever it might be. So I I think there is a little bit of value in AJ Brimson, but it is not one that I'll be going near, of course. If he does end up playing centre the entire year, uh, which sounds like that is the plan, uh, I, I just can't really go near him. Um, you know, he, He's also no stranger to, to, to an injury, AJ Brimson. That's the unfortunate reality. Uh, so Supercoach Draft-wise, I've never owned him. Um, and at the moment, if he's not the first choice fullback there, I'm not sure if I ever will own him. Um, what have we got here? Who should we be looking for picks four through eight? Prep started for my boys comp. Yeah, prep should already be started, and you should be thinking that that four to eight mark. For me, um, I think the perfect guy to grab in that range is sort of Scotty Drinkwater. Uh, I sort of assume that KP and Turbo would 
be pick three and four behind KP and uh, Hines. But uh, talking to the rubdown boys the other day, they reckon there's every chance that Turbo slips pretty deep. I personally don't think so. But I think if you can get KP, Turbo, Drinkwater, any of these guys at that four to eight spot, uh, that is absolute fucking gold. Latrell Mitchell will be there and thereabouts once again. I'd probably be letting James Tedesco maybe slide out of that range. Uh, But those are the sort of guys that I would be trying to snatch in there. Uh, So many fantastic options in that group. Um, And yeah, I I think Scotty Drinkwater is probably the one that you can probably get in that range and have a very successful season with him, but you are sort of pinning your hopes uh, on the North Queensland Cowboys, obviously. Uh, But yeah, if Turbo manages to slide there because people are worried about injuries or, you know, well, whatever it might be, I think that's a very good get there. I'd be more than happy to take that punt. I was even thinking the other day uh, that, you know, obviously in my comp, we do our challenges and whatnot, then we get to pick where we draft. I would almost be happy taking pick five, knowing that I get... One of KP, Turbo, Drinkwater, uh, you could take some headaches away from there. It's it's not what I will do on draft day, but I could understand if people do that and they'd be happy taking any of those three once Hines and Turbo is gone. So plenty to think about uh, and plan for every situation 100%. Uh, what have we got? Who's going to be the smoky to grab for for twenty twenty four? Just like our boy Hopgood, yeah, Jimmy. I'm not quite sure who it is just yet. No one's absolutely jumping out for me at the moment. There's young guys that I like, and I talk about it with the weekly rubdown that'll be dropping this week, that full episode. Uh, but I think we wait for trials to get a better idea of who's going to be playing what position and whatnot. Uh, but I don't have a Hopgood this year that I am one hundred percent confident he's going to absolutely jump out of the earth and blow it away. Um, especially one that you guys aren't already aware of. Hopgood was reasonably unknown. Uh, obviously, he got me out of the match in the New South Wales Cup Grand Final, so then everyone was talking about him and everyone was aware of him. Uh, but when I was talking about him three or four months before that, uh, people really had no idea who Jermaine Hopgood was. So I don't really have one of those, and I think a lot of that comes down to a lot of the guys I've been keen on over the last two years, like your your Wongs and these sort of guys. They sort of started to emerge at the end of last season. Uh, so uh, you, you guys are already aware of a lot of those guys. Ido, I've spoken about him so much you guys are well and truly aware of how talented he is so uh, keep your ear to the ground I'll be going through a couple of big CBAs heading into this season over the next couple of weeks uh, but yeah no I don't really have like a hop good at the moment and I think that's the beauty of the CBAs um, I will alert you to these absolute guns when I see them uh, but I'm not just going to fabricate them to pull them out of nowhere so there was Cotter there was hop good these sort of guys uh, but yeah I, I don't want to pretend like guys are at that level if I don't quite see it. So uh, wait and see as we get close to the trials and everything. Other guys will start to emerge and there will be plenty to talk about with the CBAs. Um, how will trades work with most likely separate team lists Tuesdays for round one? I have no fucking idea, bro. Um, I would say that they're going to lock those Roosters players and stuff and then the other ones will stay unlocked and it would just be like a normal round that will just last for two or three weeks. I would uh, for, for two weeks, I would say. Uh, but I'm not quite sure how it's all going to play out. Uh, what players do you think will pick up dual position as the season goes on? There's a number of guys in there that I think will get dual position. Uh, we'll talk about those as we get a little bit closer. But I think that... Uh, 
dual positions this year are pretty scarce. So I don't think they've handed out all that many. Uh, so I think there is a lot to be gained there. So we will go through those uh, as its own topic. We've actually got that on our run sheet for beers and break-evens over the next few weeks. And as we go position by position with Timmy Williams on beers and break-evens, we'll talk about that. Uh, so obviously that's relevant for Supercoach Draft and Supercoach Classic. I will be talking about it on Supercoach Draft as well. So it won't just be beers and break-evens. If you don't listen to that content, uh, I'll have it over the next few weeks here as well. So I'll have to sit down and go through it all and see which guys I see gaining dual position. Uh, what have we got? Where do you rank new such returning players, i.e. RTS, Zeri, Strange, Pierce Paul, Smithies, Chevy Stewart? Yeah, there'll be a lot of chat about these guys. Great question from Tommy Duggs. Uh, and we'll talk about all of them a lot. We actually spoke about quite a few of them with the weekly rubdowns. You can get my perspective on all those guys from that episode straight away. Some of them I'm high on. Some of them I'm not as high on. I'm not as convinced. Uh, Morgan Smithies, who I was looking at a few weeks ago and really liked. I've sort of gone a little bit cold on him, to be honest with you. Uh, and, you know, um, Chevy Stewart, who I've been talking about for a couple of years, I probably think he's a little bit raw coming into first grade right now as well. Uh, the big worry with that Canberra Raiders side as well is that, you know, if they go Xavier Savage or they go Chevy Stewart round one, uh, that's all good and well. But then Seb Chris returns from suspension, um, I believe, in like round three or round four. So just as we think we're safe with a cheapie there, Ricky Stewart could quite possibly go, okay, let's just throw Seb Chris back into fullback. Uh, I love him. He does a job for me. So, yeah, a bit of a worry there. Um... Do you think Aaron Clark becomes more super coach relevant with the new coach there? I hope so, mate, but I'm not confident on it. Uh, Desi Hasler, a fantastic coach, but he is well known in the super coach world for completely, you know, dry fucking our forwards uh, and taking away really good super coach players there. So maybe Aaron Clark becomes better, but I, I'm probably not seeing it, to be completely honest with you. I think he'll be very similar to what he's been the last couple of years where he sort of just plods away. And to be honest with you, from a super coach perspective, probably underachieves a little bit. He's a guy that we know has got good PBM. He can score high. He can score consistently high as well, like really solid scores. But yeah, I'm far from convinced uh, that he will be a, a really good pick under Desi Hasler. Uh, from Maxi Smart, Cooler worth a stash as Turbo Cover. Sure. Um, I, yeah, I, I think Cole is a very good grab. I had him two years ago. Uh, and as you guys know, we got to the end of the last season. I was very confident he was going to absolutely blow it away. So brought him into Supercoach Classic. Uh, and he jumped me up probably two or 3,000 spots, realistically. He absolutely brained at the end of the year. I do still think, to be honest with you, if I was picking... If Turbo went down round one night to pick my full work to replace him, I would still lean towards Ruben Garrick. And I know that'll sound crazy to a lot of you, but I think you just need to keep in mind that Kohler, you know, he had two unbelievable games and they were incredibly impressive. There's no doubt about that. But they were against Canterbury and the West Tigers who uh, had just about you know, fucking checked out for the entire season. They were Red Rover. The year before that, if it wasn't for Jersey Gate, I genuinely think Ruben Garrick at fullback gets the Manly Seagulls into the top eight. Uh, he was doing sensational things. So I'm not quite sure what the Manly Seagulls are thinking. I think Cole is the one with the highest ceiling. I think he's the more exciting guy. But the reality is, as much as I love Cole, I haven't really seen him against good sides playing fullback in first grade. We've seen him when they win by 50 and, you know, he's the fastest motherfucker on the field. Uh, he's incredibly strong, so he's going to do well. There's no doubt about that. But I think Ruben Garrick, we've seen him in big games play fullback and be very effective over a longer period of time as well. So, um, yeah, if you're drafting Cole or thinking he will definitely be the fullback, I'm not completely convinced on that. Um, and I don't think you can be 100% sure on that. But I, I understand your logic and there's every chance he does get fullback. Uh, what position is best stacked for cheapies this year? It's sort of a classic question. We'll talk about that when we get to beers and break-evens. Um, what have we got? 
Should we be leaving 5-8 to the later rounds if we miss Brown and Munster? I think so. I think that if you don't get one of those big dogs, and neither of them overly interest me, if, to be completely honest with you, 5-8, um, there's a very good chance that I leave 5-8 and Hooker this year, um, and I'll just back myself to find one of them. Um, and then... Yeah, that, 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 that sort of will be my plan, I think. And, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, call that strategy crazy and whatnot. But I am finding that you, I think you can see in the Supercoach draft world, that strategy is becoming more and more common. I know it is in my comp. I, I remember sitting there a couple of years ago, you know, we, we have like roastings after our draft day. And, you know, I remember them sitting there going, you didn't draft a hooker. I go, yeah, but I don't care. I don't need a hooker. Um, and I was just... People just looking at me like, like I had three fucking heads. But I think it's just becoming more and more evident that it is the way to go uh, because there is no point using, you know, a fifth-round draft pick to get a hooker you don't want just because they're a hooker. It just makes no sense whatsoever. Go and get players that you actually want. Uh, use your AEs properly and whatnot and then just play on the waiver wire for the rest of the season. Grab someone that is an injury away from getting a very good gig uh, and quite often you can make it work. Like you have a look at last year, I drafted Sonny Luke very late. I was very confident that he was going to go well last year. As you all know, he definitely fucking didn't. Uh, but even drafting Sonny Luke, like I never really had a huge issue at hooker. Uh, I ended up getting Jacob Little throughout the year who averaged about 45, um, you know, there was people that took Reed Marnie in round four and five who averaged less than that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just the year before that, uh, I grabbed Jeremy Marshall King from the Canterbury Bulldogs. Uh, he averaged, you know, 50, 55. Like, I just... I, I just don't understand why you all invest such high picks on guys you actually don't want. You just think you need to fit, fill a position and you just go panic stations. Um, if there isn't value there, if there isn't guys there that you genuinely want in your team that you know are going to score well, fuck it, leave it. Go and get a player in another position that you know will score well and just back yourself during the season to find those guys. They are always there on the way of wire. There are always options there. Do not throw away your very good picks on draft day to fill positions that are scarce just because you're worried about it. It shits me to no end, and I don't understand why people do it. Um, with the rotations of hookers, what are your top five options? Um, look, I think that there is the Harry Grant, Jeremy Marshall Kings. I think there's a bit of a drop-off after that. Then you're probably looking at like your Damien Cooks, your Blake Braley's. But I'd probably have Damien Cook in that top echelon. Um, I really do not see myself drafting any of those guys, though. I just don't think there's value in any of them. Even Harry Grant, I've said it for a long time. I think Harry Grant is a, you know, obviously I absolutely, absolutely love Harry Grant. I've been talking about him since he was fucking 18 years old. But Supercoach-wise, I just don't think you can win a comp with him. I know Nadia Mooker are very high on him the more that they look at him, but I, I sort of think they're luring themselves into a false sense of security. I would not be going with Harry Grant. I won't be going with Harry Grant. I think your first pick, you want a higher option. If you're in a captain's league, I just don't think Harry Grant's the guy. I know he had a few higher scores this year, but Melbourne, they just aren't the team that they used to be, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, I'm just not completely convinced on... Harry Grant, as a first-round pick, as I haven't been for the last few years. I, I, I had him in the first year. I, I went in round five when he wasn't even in the Melbourne Storm squad. He then made the move to the Tigers, which is what I was hoping would happen. Did very well, was stoked with him. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just I can't pin my entire season on a hooker anymore. I just don't think uh, it's the position that you want to be getting those big points from. Um what have we got? Best way to order draft, and what if other players pick your player first? Well, then you have to, you know, think on your feet. That's the beauty of draft day. Uh, best way to order your draft, we do a snake system. That's how I like it. Uh, but that's all I really know because that's how our comp's always done it. But that's how I prefer it. Uh, but it is worthwhile talking to other people in draft comps to see 
um, how they do theirs and how, how, how they want to go about it. If all the five eights are gone, is a dark horse like Luke Brooks a good choice or someone else that's cheaper? I understand the Luke Brooks appeal. I get it. I think he'll average 55 odd. I think he'll be a good pick. Uh, but once again, do you... You know, if you get to that round five, round six, where five eights are starting to fall and Luke Brooks is the guy you're going for, you know, they've still got Josh Schuster there. Um, you're not, you don't really know how the Manly Seagulls are going to go. You don't really know how Luke Brooks is going to go. I think he'll do well, but he's probably not a guy that I'm going to pin a big a big draft spot on. Uh, I'm probably going to let someone else do it. I think Luke Brooks is a really good example of just, because of the position he plays, people will get desperate and they'll chase after him. Um, it, he's the sort of guy that I look at and go, okay, probably he's probably not going to play much halfback this year unless DC gets, gets injured. Maybe he grabs dual position over the origin period towards the back end. If so, a little bit more appealing. But yeah, look, I like Luke Brooks. I think he has a very, very good NRL season. I like him, but I'm not quite convinced from a super coach point of view that uh, he's going to be... This guy that's, you know, I mean, like at the West Tigers, he he, he averaged 50-odd going like an absolute busted asshole, but he was the main guy there. Uh, coming to the Manly Seagulls, he's not the main guy. He's in a slightly better side. I get the appeal of Luke Brooks, but he's not a guy that I'm going to be chasing too heavily. Um, when doing a draft with mates, are you best to just go for high scorers in the previous year? Look, if you're new to draft, it's not the worst policy to go with 100%, but I think you do need to back your gut feeling a little bit. Um, and this is where listen to podcasts like Guru, uh, like the weekly rubdown, other people putting out good draft content. Uh, and you do have to back your gut in a little bit. I do it every single year and I'm always happy that I sort of back my gut in on guys and who I think is going to go well and whatnot because there is just value left, right, and center all over the place on draft day. So, yes, what they scored last year is very important. And for a lot of guys, it will indicate what they're going to score next year. But there's also a lot of other factors on the outside of that that you need to be constantly considering and taking in. Uh, rank your top three draft positions in a 12-man league, i.e. do you want to be first, fifth pick, etc. Uh, look, I think... I think as boring as it is, uh, pick one, pick two, pick three, pick four, pick probably five, I think they are the five best, yeah, and that's very boring and you want to be as high as you can. If you can get Nathan Cleary, you take him in a heartbeat. If you can get Nico Hines, you take him in a heartbeat. Uh, then I would probably have KP, Turbo, then maybe like a Scotty Drinkwater. Um, I do think there is a little bit of value in taking that fifth pick because I think you still get a very, very high ceiling guy, even a sixth pick. If Latrell Mitchell is the guy you end up with, I mean, you're not sitting in a bad spot there either. Um, I think there is a bit of value in considering the later you go with, you know, who, who, whichever spot is the last spot that you can go that you're happy getting um, the the player that, that could go there because then you get the earlier pick on your second one as well and it could get you a better second pairing. I get it 100%. If you're in a captain's league though, I think you want to be as high as you possibly can and just get the guide that you want. As I said, I understand the strategy of, oh, I'll pick fifth and I'll be happy with anyone I get. But if you're in a captain's league, I think you want to go as high as you can and you want to get the guy that you believe will score the most fucking points. For me, I think KP is going to do very well this year. So he's a guy that I think you can get a third pick in just about every competition. But if you're sitting there going, I think KP could score more than Hines or could score more than Nathan Cleary or is more likely to be available at the back end of the season, go and get KP. Go and fucking get him. Back your gut in. Be brave and go after him. Just because people on draft day might might laugh or might go, geez, you should have done this or you should have done that. Who gives a fuck? Back your gut in and go all in on who you think. 
If you have the overall choice, though, I would still be going with one of uh, Nath Cleary or Hines, uh, but I've got KP just after them. So if you have the choice, go at the top. If you end up in that, like, 8-9 sort of range where you've got the choice, I would probably drop back to 12th. I think there's a bit of value you can get there and get the double pick as well. So plenty to keep in mind, and we'll talk more about that as the season gets closer. But I think if you can get a top three pick, you take it without a doubt. Um, what have we got here? Is Fogarty a sneaky pod considering he'll be running the team? Sure, potentially. Uh, but uh, how many points Fogarty ends up with, I do not know. How the Canberra Raiders go, I'm not too sure. But Fogarty is interesting this year because he's the main guy. He's going to have young kids next to him. He's going to have to have plenty of handles. Uh, but I just question how many points they've got in him and how Ricky Stewart goes with him because it has been uh, one of the least inspiring attacks in rugby league for quite some time. Who would you take a pick number one? I would still take Nath Cleary, but I think we're getting to the point now where if your grand final's in round 27, you have to seriously weigh up with Nath Cleary. Um, is he going to be available on grand final day? Because the reality is, Nath Cleary might, you know, Nath Cleary, Nico Hines, the, these guys, they might be the best players throughout the entire season, but if they're not there grand final day, honestly, who... Who gives a fuck, you know? That 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 turns out to be very, very costly. Uh, obviously, Hines, I think he's a better chance to be available in the last round of the season. Uh, so maybe you push Hines to one, but I still think Nathan Cleary is the best super coach player that you can get. Uh, and I think this is going to be a very, very important season for the Penrith Panthers sending off Jerome Lewis. So I would still go Nathan Cleary uh, and sort of just take the punt that he plays in the last week. Uh, but... Yeah, it's something that you need to seriously consider, and I think it's something that I'll consider more and more throughout this offseason and might sort of sway me as we get closer. Uh, best dual position players, we'll go through all of this uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but obviously, uh, I think like CTW and fullback wing is probably the best jewel that you can get. Halfback 5'8", right up there as well. Uh, if you can cover one of those spots, uh, you know, as we said, there's not many 5'8s getting around. So if you can get your paws on a good dual position guy late uh, and he can cover one of them, it means you can go to the waiver wire and not only be looking for a 5'8", but you could be looking for a halfback as well, which could just open up your options this year. Uh, the other one is obviously second row slash front row forward, uh, which is very, very handy as well to grab at some point. Guys like Jack DeBell and Joe Tarpanay, these sort of fellas, Tino, uh, plenty of options there, and some of those guys are very, very important to have. My side last year, I had Corey Horsburgh, I had Jack DeBell, and I had Joe Tarpanay, uh, so it just meant that I hardly ever had to go to the waiver wire for forwards, whereas the year before, I was trying to hunt down front row forwards all year, uh, but I was lucky, and I, I, I sort of... That, that, that was very good drafting last year by me, and I don't know if you're going to be able to do that next year. Obviously got on Horsburgh at the right time, Joe Tarpanay at the right time, Jack DeBellin was solid. He was exactly what we expected him to be. Uh, so I had, you know, a, a, a Nathan Cleary as my big swinging dick, and then I managed to get all these dual position forwards, which made life a little bit easier. But I think that's going to be... A lot more difficult to do this year because jewels are pretty scarce. Scarce. Uh, what have we got? How valuable is Dylan Brown going to be? I think Dylan Brown's a top 10 pick. I think that the weekly rubdown boys sort of have him in their top five or six. I probably don't have him that high, to be honest with you. Uh, I've got him a little bit further below that just because he doesn't have like the goal kicking and all that of some of these other guys. Uh, so, you know, in big wins with goal kickers, you can add another 40-odd points to their score. Um, and, yeah, I, I just think Dill Brown, he's not the dominant ball player in that team as well. Like, everything the North Queensland Cowboys do, for example, runs through Scott Drinkwater. The Paramount Eels, they're not quite the same. I will say this, if you do go Dill Brown, uh, you go a round or two early on Sean Lane as well. You get that pairing. If Dill Brown is to have a good season, it means Sean Lane has to have a good season as well. So you need to keep that in mind and make sure you get that one for sure. Who are the hooker CBAs this year, bro? I 
I am not convinced there are any hooker CBAs, uh, to be completely honest with you. Obviously, Chan Kum Tong, uh, I really like him. I think he, he is like an NRL CBA from, from a super coach point of view. I'm not sure if he's going to get enough minutes to be relevant. So uh, it's going to be really, really tough, Hooker. It's going to be fucking brutal. You're probably going to end up with someone that you don't like. Uh, and I think that is just the reality of the situation. And even if you get someone you do like, Harry Grant, Jeremy Marshall King, they come with their downsides, a lack of ceiling, uh, play origin, uh, injury prone, might have a second Hooker on the bench. Hooker is just completely fucked this year. So I would not be putting too many eggs in any of those baskets. I would personally let someone else make that mistake. Have it as your AE. Uh, the vast majority of guys in your competition will that have gone hard on hooker and got a good hooker. Uh, you know, they might get 20 more points a week than you. But Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. In that position, you're probably going to cover them as far as a two-hour effort, a good CTW you got on draft day when they were picking fucking hookers in round three and four just because uh, there was a bit of a rush on draft day. Keep your head cool, calm, collected, fuck off hooker. Uh, let it be someone else's problem, in my opinion. All right, guys, that'll do us for Q&A. Sort of went through a number of those questions, answered the ones that stood out to me, but there is a heap of draft content coming your way over the next few days. Wednesday, it's about a two-hour episode with... Uh, Nutty and Wooker from the Weekly Rubdown. Make sure if you want more draft content, go and follow the boys. Uh, they're putting out a heap in this preseason. They've got some very, very big things planned for you in 2024. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.